Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode I'm delighted to be joined by Noel Cazales, Fund Manager of the Rathbone High Quality Bond Fund. Noel joined Rathbones in July 2011. She's been managing the fund since its launch in 2018. She also assists in the management of the Rathbone Ethical Bond Fund and the Rathbone Strategic Bond Fund. Noel holds two master's degrees in economics and finance. So first of all, uh, a warm welcome to you, Noel, and thank you for spending some of your time with us. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me today. If we could go into the uh, fund itself, could you sort of talk us around what the investment objectives and the investment strategy of the fund are? Yes, sure. So we launched the Rathbones High Quality Bond Fund in 2018. And really the aim um, is to provide investors with a lower risk option in investment grade. So the fund effectively uh, is what we would describe um, as a cash plus, and it aims to achieve returns greater than the Bank of England base rate plus um, 0.5% net of our fees. So just trying to beat cash um, you know, is a low risk strategy. We invest at least 80% of the fund in A minus rated bond and above. So there is very much a strong focus on high quality credit at all times. And it's written in the prospectus, so it's not to our discretion to respect this 80%. And, you know, if you look over the last kind of five to 10 years, corporate bond markets in general have been pointed for their credit quality deterioration with the exponential growth of triple Bs. And so, you know, that this rule of 80% in A- minus and above really ensure that we stick to these higher credit quality names. The fund also focuses on short-dated bonds, so there is little interest rate and sensitivity. The duration of the fund is around two years and the yield is 1.8%, so giving a decent pickup versus cash. Um, and if you compare it to guilds, for example, where the 10-year guild today yields 0.2%, you know, your 1.8% is also quite a, a decent pickup in yield. And how about the strategy of, of the fund? What sort of things are you looking for when you're deciding on your investments? We invest in sterling bonds or bonds that would be hedged back to sterling. Um, so there is no kind of currency risk. I mean, again, being a low risk fund, the last thing you want is to have big currency swings in the fund. And currently, actually, we find quite a lot of opportunities in sterling. So 100% of the portfolio um, is in sterling. Um, and then I guess in terms of country allocation, we have quite a skew as a result of the sterling exposure to the UK. It's about 48% of the portfolio invested in the UK, but highlight that it's actually a lot of that is in global businesses and they just happen to be domiciled in the UK. So it doesn't necessarily mean they are UK centric, but there is definitely a strong focus on developed markets. So the rest of the exposure is, you know, in the US, various European countries. And there is no willingness to go into emerging markets here. And then when we look at the investment universe, you know, we look at, at various sectors. Currently, I'm overweighting financials. I think if I look back over the last few years, or actually since the 2008 crisis, banks have really transformed themselves. They've been forced by their regulators to hold more capital. So we can say really, it's been a really great decade for credit investors in terms of you know, investing in banks. We have better, much better, in fact, capital position. There's more liquidity in their balance sheets and they are more transparent as to how they manage their risks in businesses. 
Um, so really, it's all been positive for, for bondholders. Um, and actually, you know, the last months have been obviously quite interesting for all sectors, but we've been really pleased to see that for banks, you know, earnings, yes, of course, are under pressure. But when you look at capital ratio, they remain really strong. So yeah, I like banks. You get attractive valuations and you get um, you know, strong, strong fundamentals. Naturally, because of the credit rating constraint of 80% in A- and above, we would invest in the safer parts of the capital structure. So um, some of that would be invested in cover bonds that are AAA assets backed by kind of low LTV mortgages. Um, and the rest of the exposure is into senior uh, bank debt. So again, you have really, really low chance of, of default. So presumably that's uh, all playing into the 4C approach you use in terms of uh, evaluating creditworthiness, um, character, capacity, collateral and covenants. Yes, sure. I mean, for the covered bonds, analyzing the collateral is very, very important. You know, a lot of these bonds are over-collateralized, which means we really need to see very, very sharp and important downturns in the property market and the residential property market to see some, some impairment there. I mean, even during the 08 crisis, you know, they haven't been defaulting. So yeah, the collateral is very important and obviously the character and capacity to pay. Uh, we really focus on the strongest balance sheets. Something we don't really like, for example, would be the smaller banks that are less diversified in terms of their earnings stream um, and really just rely on you know, the most cyclical parts of the market. We really focus on the bigger players such as HSBC, such as you know, the building societies. The building societies don't have shareholders. And so they've actually been you know, accumulating a lot of capital. If you look at Coventry or Nationwide, they have some of the best capital ratios in, in the UK or in Europe, in fact. There's clearly a, a focus on, on banks and well, probably financial companies in general. Are there any other kind of sectors worth mentioning that make up part of your portfolio outside of financials? Perhaps actually more on, on the other side, you know, the sectors that we have concerned about and that we are avoiding because it's also part of constructing... Yep. Um, a portfolio. So as a team, we take strong conviction. So if we don't like a sector, we would have very little or, or no exposure to it. Um, and if you look at, on the fact sheet, you can see very little exposure to retail or, or car manufacturer. I feel like these sectors are strictly, structurally challenged and in fact were structurally challenged before we hit the, the pandemic. So I feel some of these problems have been accelerating and that's still something that I want to avoid having, having exposure to. Uh, if I take car manufacturer, for example, um, they were already facing pressure in terms of emission regulation, high capex in terms of automation, electrification. Um, and now on the top of that, they have to deal with um, a very strong hit to global demand. Um, so we've seen actually over the last month or so, rating agents, agencies downgrading some of these names. Uh, we always thought it was coming, but has been accelerating that trend. So Daimler has been downgraded. Toyota this week has been downgraded. Uh, and I really see that trend continuing. So I don't really feel, you know, if I take exposure into car manufacturer, I don't really feel I get compensated for the credit risk I'm taking right now. So yeah, not so keen on that. And same on retailer, especially the retailers that have, uh, you know, perhaps really high exposure to, to property. With that in mind, and we've already mentioned your predilection for uh, financial stocks, what sort of bonds make up your, your largest holdings or they're within 
the largest holdings within the fund. So if you look on, I don't know, our top 10 holdings, um, you'll find obviously some of the bank debts that I was talking about, some of these covered um, uh, um, AAA FRN bonds, um, and some of the exposure to the well-capitalized businesses like HSBC, like Coventry. Another one that is quite interesting, which was actually issued a few months ago, was the first UK municipal bond. Um, it was issued earlier in the year to support the Lancashire Council. Um, and effectively, municipal bonds, they're very well developed in other markets. In the US, it's a very big part of you know, the financing of local authorities. Um, same in France and a lot of European countries, but it's never really kind of came here to the UK. So I was really pleased to see the Lancashire Council issuing earlier in the year. So we get exposure to that. In terms of credit quality, you know, it's like double A minus, so it kind of really fits the bill, but also it, it was kind of like a five-year bond, so very, very interesting for, for this fund. So yeah, I would really hope to see more of this council coming to the market. It would be very interesting funding tool, I suspect, for them. Um, you know, in this current environment. So perhaps we can even see um, there is talks of some, perhaps some social bonds being issued to finance the response to COVID-19. We've seen that from a lot of development banks. We've seen that from the World Bank, but perhaps, you know, governments and um, some of the local authority could be the next ones to, to raise some financing for that. It's a very interesting point about the uh, Lancashire municipal bond that you mentioned. Are, are there any strong rumours going around at the moment that, that there are any imminently coming to the market or is it just kind of speculation at this point that other councils might be looking at the situation? I'm speculating, I haven't heard anything um, but you know I think it would make sense, funding costs are sure. really low, the market is really open for this kind of opportunity as some investors you know are reluctant to take too much credit risk, these kind of names I think would be very well received and we've seen a lot of supply actually in credit market in the US and in euros but you know still we, we could see more in the uk in sterling that would, that would be well received i think on that broad theme of, of us europe uk and central banks in particular obviously qe has become a thing again as it first did over the financial crisis uh, over a decade ago could you just explain to us how qe could have an impact within the bond market, uh, the corporate bond market in particular? Yeah, sure. So I guess if I take you back to the end of March, you know, really the market was in free fall. It was very difficult to find a, a bid that made any sense. Uh, prices were collapsing and really what it took for um, the market to return to stability was two things, was not only central banks actually stepping in, but also um, a fiscal response that was uh, coordinated with central banks. So I think, you know, having both governments and central bankers coordinating really sizable responses really helped confidence to return and you know that the helped spreads to to stabilize i mean end of march we really see seen a lot of dislocation there were some bonds that were down more than an equity uh, or more than the equity of the same company so it doesn't really make sense when you think about the risk of, of the investment so that yeah that was definitely very very positive to to see the, the size and the speed of the response. In terms of um, the difficulties that we've clearly been having in, in 2020 and, and the last uh, couple of months in particular, how are you finding that your bond fund is, is holding up uh, given the challenges that, uh, that we all have? Well, I guess the high quality bond fund is a low risk strategy. And when we launched in 2018, you know, I remember spending a lot of time 
doing stress testing and scenario analysis to show what kind of potential drawdown you can have when you compare it to the sector or when you compare it to uh, an IBOX index, for example. And everything would throw out that the downside would be limited compared to, to this, the IA corporate bond sector, for example. But you can never really prove that. So in a way, this, the last few months have been a very, very good test for this fund, which is you know, still quite young and less than two years ago. And we've been very pleased with the performance. It has actually one of the lowest drawdown in the IA corporate bond sector. And in terms of relative performance versus the sector as well, it rose to the top of the table as credit markets sold off. So it's very much doing what we said it would do, which has been really pleasing. What's your kind of outlook from here? Just leaving the easiest question until last as to what you think might happen for the rest of 2020, obviously spilling over into 2021. That's a very important question and definitely not the easier one at the moment. I guess when I look at credits, I have no doubt that earnings are going to be under significant pressure. Um, you know, I think we're going to see as a result a number of credit rating downgrades. Rating agencies have already been very active, perhaps more active than, you know, in 2008. Um, and so far, we've already seen 200 billion of debt being downgraded from investment grade to high yield. So I expect that trend to continue. Um, and some estimates, you know, for 2020 are well over 300 billion. So that, that's a, obviously a huge number and something that we are very doing quite a lot of work on. But I would say even though the, the earnings and the fundamentals are a little bit under pressure, when I look at the technical in the investment grade market, they are very super supportive. As I say, central banks are, you know, are coming with a lot of QE, as you mentioned. They're coming to the rescue and really helped credit spreads to move tighter. And for example, the Fed is now buying not only investment grade, but fallen angels or bonds that have been downgraded to high yield. Um, and some ETFs as well. So there's very much a, a strong bid from central banks. Um, and I think over the next six months, that's going to help credit spread to tighten a bit further. We already had, you know, a pretty good run in, um, in April um, and May. But I think, you know, it's one of these times where your credit work is very important. Performance is very, very name specific. And we see a lot of differentiation in the market. And depending if the company is, you know, impacted by COVID or not. Airport, for example, last week were very much unlost, um, as you know, some of the traffic figures show a 90% reduction. So you really need to, to do your credit work and make sure you're not in names that are going to be challenged. One of the things that we look at and we're going to continue to look at over the next year is the liquidity position of this company. Can they service their debt in the short term? Because that's usually what would trigger a company to, to move into default. It's supportive with strong technical and the central banks, but equally, you know, you really need to know what you own and what the risks are there. And I guess as a result for that, I'm probably more positive on investment grade. I would be in high yield. Valuation in high yields are attractive, but um, I'm definitely more cautious around the default picture. Um, and again, I think investors really need to be selective and understand the risks associated with certain sector or certain names that are a lot more levered than they are in investment grade. That's a fascinating insight, Noel. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. I do thank you once again for, for spending this time with us. And thanks also to you for listening. And do join us next time for the following Interactive Investor Podcast.